Hello, everybody, and welcome once again to the New Holland Tri-County Coaches Show. I'm A.J. Calver, and uh, my man is back with me, Kevin Beatty. Zelmo is back in the broadcast booth, back from his trip. And we've got a great show for you tonight. We've got one of the top officials in the NCAA over the last many years. Tell us a little bit about it, Kevin. Well, we're very excited to have Steve Skiles, who I think is one of the best Big Ten officials ever. He's been out of the Big Ten for a while, but we're going to talk about that on the eve of the NCAA tournament. Also, another Bluffton graduate, J.D. Collins, picks every official for the NCAA tournament. Steve will talk to us about that, about his coaching career. He's coached. He's seen the general in his ear. He's had Katie spitting on him. And it's going to be a great show, AJ. We've also got some changes in the uh, coaching ranks here in Wells County. We've got an opportunity to talk about some of the new hires and, of course, about the NCAA, about all the pairings and what we think about who's going to win what and who should or should not be there. And we'll be back with more from the New Holland Tri-County Coaches Show right after this two-minute timeout. Welcome back, everybody. This is the New Holland Tri-County Coaches Show. We're coming to you live, as always, from the Pizza Hut here in downtown Bluffton. The snow has stopped. The sun is out, so we're getting some crazy weather here. But we have a 1971 Bluffton graduate with us tonight who did 34 years officiating a Division I basketball, 15 years in the Big Ten, and we're very happy and pleased to bring Steve Skiles to the air. Steve, welcome to the broadcast. Hey, thanks, guys. I appreciate it, and it's a, really an honor to be invited as a basketball official anywhere uh, in the month, month of March, and uh, to be involved on a coach's show is even more special, so I'm glad to be here. Now, tell us about your career, how you got started. You graduate from Bluffton High School in 71, and uh, you went to school where? Well, I went to Ball State, but it all started actually working um, teen league baseball games. Uh, Tony Garten was in charge of getting officials for teen league baseball umpire as teen league ba- baseball umpires, and I started doing that and uh, really kind of enjoyed that. And then when I got to college, I went to Ball State on a football scholarship and realized very quickly that I wasn't a good enough player to play at the Division One level. So. Um, When I decided not to pursue that, I was home one summer, and a very good friend of mine, Jerry Fritz, was opening his mail, and I was at his house, and these patches fell out of an envelope. And I said, what are those? And he goes, well, I got my basketball officiating license. And I thought, well, that's kind of interesting. And and so he said, well, why don't you do that? And I said, well, I never really thought about it. And so uh, the application process came about, and my sophomore year in college, not playing any sports, I applied for my football, baseball, and basketball licenses uh, with the IHSAA, and um, passed all three of the tests, and that was a phenomenal college job for a kid. Um, we, um, We worked games every night, starting with fifth and sixth grade room tourneys, and um, working chili suppers and all that kind of stuff, uh, working men's leagues on the weekend. And um, I think the first year I had my license, I worked 123 ba- basketball games, 25 football games, and 40 or 50 baseball games. And um, was always back at the fraternity house by 9 o'clock, never missed any of the parties. Uh, in those days... That's important. Oh, yeah. In those days, made about $70 a week, which in 1970 was really great money for a college kid. And um, then you also had the um, 
power and authority that an official has. And so you were uh, kind of the judge, jury, and executioner when you went to these different ball games, which was a lot of fun. And then uh, it just proceeded from there where I got involved with the high school and the high school tournament. I worked seven sectionals and one regional, and I wanted to move on to the college game and started doing small college at Taylor and and uh, Manchester and those schools and got lucky enough to be picked up by the Mid-American Conference in 1983. And how did that come about? You were saying that at that point in time they had gone from two to three officials? Well, what happened was I, I was invited. I, I had gone to an NBA tryout camp in Columbus, Ohio, and the commissioner of the Mid-American Conference happened to be there and invited me to their uh, organizational meeting in the fall. And while I was invited, I wasn't on staff. But in 1983, I got a letter of invitation to be on the Mid-American staff. And the first year worked three basketball games, and the second year worked five. But in 1985, that was the year that the NCAA went from two officials to three officials. So every conference in the country needed about 50% more officials. So I was fortunate enough to be put on a three-man officiating crew that year with Tom Clark and John Carr. And we uh, traveled with, in those days you worked only one conference, and so we were in the Mid-American. We worked about 25 ball games, and we developed a great friendship and, and relationship. And the three of us were actually the first three officials who were in crews that went to the Mid-American Conference Tournament. So... We had a really good uh, chemistry among us and um, did really well and enjoyed it. And then being in the Midwest, obviously the the top of the mountain in officiating was to get to the Big Ten. So um, I was fortunate enough, I think it was about 1991 or 92, to be invited into the Big Ten. And... Um, that was uh, that was a great highlight. Uh, working working ball games with a lot of people that uh, were my heroes growing up as an official. Now tell me, were you a little intimidated the first time you went out there and you had Gene Cady oh, on one side of the court and you had Bob Knight on the other side? Well, of the court? I never had to do the two of them at the same time, okay. fortunately, because <laughs> most of the time an Indiana official was not assigned to you know the Indiana Purdue game because of the. Because of the controversy that it conflict could of interest, perhaps. Right. Yeah. But um, yes, I did work. Uh, I worked Coach Knight and Coach Katie, and um, you know, just just like coaches and uh, good sporting teams do, we as officials scouted games that we were going to do. I mean, we scouted uh, knowing players, knowing knowing um, coaches, knowing what they would what they would do offenses, or do. defenses, that kind well, of thing. Well, yeah, we wanted to know whether teams were going to be playing. You know, zone. We we tried to know whether they played mostly zones or man to man offenses and defenses. Um, who their who their players were, their their go to players, and then of course with their coaches, we needed to know. We we tried to know what the, what to expect, and I can recall the first time I was assigned. To a game for Indiana, I you know I called three or four of my mentors, Gary Muncie, Bob Showalter, and I asked those guys, I go, what in the Eric Harmon? I said, what do I do? What in the world do I do with this fella? And they said, well, there's two things. Number oh, there's three. They said, number one, don't you don't go over and shake hands with him. 
If he wants to shake your hand, he'll come over and shake your hand. The second thing is don't make eye contact with him. And the third thing was don't get in a conversation with him. So, you know, I'm standing out there at uh, Assembly Hall on the floor, and uh, Coach Knight had a habit of never coming out of the locker room until about 30 seconds before the game. And you knew when he came out of the locker room because there was a presence. There just was. And I can recall standing out there and going through what the do's and don'ts were in my mind, and then I thought about, you know, I'm not going to give him the opportunity to tell him that I didn't have enough respect to come over and introduce myself. So I decided then I was going to go over and offer to shake his hand, and if he wanted to, fine. If he didn't want to, at least I made the effort. So I went over and introduced myself. He shook my hand, and and I went over to my position and um, started uh, proceeded to do the game. The game happened to be an exhibition game between the Australian, Australian national team and Indiana. And um, Indiana was leading by about uh, 25 points um, midway through the second half. And, and Jason Collier, who unfortunately passed away several years later at a very young age, but after transferring to Georgia Tech, uh, he goaltended. And I called goaltending. And when I came down the floor, Coach Knight was standing and used uh, several colorful expletives telling me that it wasn't a very good call. And I made the the major mistake of looking him straight in the eye, which was what fa- you've been fa- told not to do. Fault number one, <laughs> and then exclaiming to him, Coach, that was a great call. And then he went into a um, relatively colorful expletive-laced uh, conversation with me. And um, I I had to... I had to think of something because as I came down the floor the second time, he was up and ready to start talking to me. And and at that time, I told him, I said, Coach, I have the guts to tell you when I make the wrong call, and that was not the wrong call. And so he went over and sat down, and the game proceeded. And then we had our eight-minute TV timeout, and I happened to be right in front of his huddle. That was my station. And he came out of the huddle and called me over. So like a little puppy dog, I ran over. And he grabbed me by the elbow, and he told me he was a little upset with his team, but he said, um, if I lost a little of my arrogance, I had a chance to make it in that league. And that was kind of my baptism. And then, uh, you know, going up to going over to uh, Mackey Arena and working for Gene Cady, it was a very similar situation because it, the Gene Cady um, has a presence that's unbelievable also. And... Um, they they have their they were kind of like the old dinosaurs who knew how to work officials the correct way, and um, as I went through my career as an official, I mean I, I kind of learned a lot of those things about um, how how a coach works an official and when he should work an official and how he should work an official, and uh, those two guys were um, they along with Tom Izzo and um, um, a lot of other veteran coaches really knew how to treat officials and it was always this idea that coaches and officials really didn't like each other and there were some instances where there were coaches and officials who really didn't care for each other on a personal basis but all in all there was a, a an understood respect among coaches and officials for the jobs that they did we knew that coaches had a had a very difficult job, and they knew we had a difficult job. And while there was always 
tensions on the basketball court because of just the, the nature of the adversarial situations that we both were in, there was, they, they always cared about us, and they always treated us with respect. And while they might not have always agreed with what we did or quite often didn't agree with what they did, they, they were always supportive of us. And, um, you know, that was, that was something that the public really never, I don't think, got a chance to see or, or really would understand because they only saw what happened during the game and during the showtime part of, of collegiate basketball. The heat of battle. The heat of battle. And it was, it was um, you know, we would see those guys coming into the – when we came to the arenas an hour and a half before the game started. And then we'd see them 45 minutes after the game was over. And it was a, it was a totally different situation and um, uh, atmosphere that we saw those guys under. And um, when I was – when, about six years ago, when I unfortunately uh, became very ill, um, I, it was amazing the, the phone calls that I got from from head coaches around the country, uh, wishing me well. Some some who I really didn't even know that well, but um, uh, it, it they they get a bad rap really because you tend to only hear about the things that are not positive in their lives. I mean, um, but but imagine if. If your job, if your job was controlled by 18, 19, 20, and 21-year-old kids, and um, they, they just do a phenomenal job, and they're, they're very well paid, and they deserve to be, but they're very well respected. And um, we, we had a lot of great relationships with, uh, with some really great coaches. All right, Steve. Tremendously interesting. But we're going to take a break right now and pay some bills, listen to some of our great sponsors who make this show possible. And when we come back, we're going to talk to you some more about some of the stories and some of the outcomes. And uh, I want to talk to you about Ted Valentine. He seems to be in the news a lot these days. And we've got uh, coaches who have been hired here in the Wells County system that we're going to discuss and talk about NCAA basketball. But we'll be back right after this. Welcome back, everyone. This is the New Holland Tri-County Coaches Show coming to you live from the Pizza Hut in Bluffton. A reminder that New Holland Tri-County out south of town is a great place for you to do business. If you're looking to get your equipment ready to go for spring planning, take it out to New Holland. They can get you taken care of. And you may not know, but New Holland's got a new product. It's called the Workmaster 25S. It's a subcompact tractor. And it is better than anything on the market, better than anything that Kubota has, better than anything that John Deere has. So check it out. Talk to Kenny Mast, push-button cruise, dual-pedal HST. It's a great loader for mowing or for working. It's called a 25S, only at New Holland Tri-County. All right, Kevin, uh, first of all, we want to send out our condolences as there's been a death in the family. Yeah, it wouldn't be a sports show in Wells County. Uh, and we've had him on our show many times, once to talk with him and once to help with Coach Jack Cross. Um, but the headline in today's paper of the banner is NBI Con Community Champion Joe Smeckens dies. And Joe was just a wonderful, wonderful man. But I think one quote from the editor, Dave Schultz, put it in perspective for me. And it was simply that to Schultz, he said, or he said he was quick to praise and was gentle in his criticism. And that epitomizes Joe Smeckens. Quick to praise, slow to criticize, and uh, your comments, guys. 
Yeah, Joe, I mean, remember when he was on with us and we were doing the, the show for Coach Jack, and uh, just a great individual. I know he worked for many years at the funeral home and uh, helping with that, and we all expected Joe to live a long, a much longer time, but we never know when our time is up, and uh, hopefully he's in a better place. Yeah, Joe was a, was a great person, and he always had the had the uh, betterment of Bluffton in his heart. He uh, was one of the biggest supporters of the, the three school systems in, in Bluffton and was very supportive of the neighboring school systems. He always had a smile on his face. He always gave a positive reaction to what was going on in the athletic community. He was involved with the uh, Hall of Fame uh, at Bluffton High School. And, in fact, I believe was a member of the Hall of Fame at Bluffton High School. And uh, always had a smile on his face, kind word to say, and always was lifting athletes up. And he will truly be missed. Uh, he just was a very kind, kind gentleman. And one of those guys that you um, you just hate to see taken from us at such a young age and uh, with so much to offer. What you see now is sportscasters and sports writers are so quick to find fault, to lay blame on something or someone. You got beat because you did something poorly, not because the other team did something great or that they had an outstanding game, but they always want to blame something or someone. Joe wasn't like that. Well, I'd like to think he got extra years because he was a great uh, lover of golf. And in his 50s, he had a severe heart attack, about passed away on the golf course. And so he got another 20 years, we'll say. So we'll look at it that way. Yeah, that's a great thing. Now, Kevin, we've also got some new hires here in Wells County. Why don't you tell us about that? Well, just briefly, I wanted to mention the Raiders have a new football coach. And um, his name is Gregory Mose. And Gregory Mose is a young coach, enthusiastic. In fact, part of the description of him uh, on his resume was that he was described as being very motivated, giving and passionate. You have to tell him to slow down because he won't. He'll give you everything he's got. And I, they mentioned he has a two-hour drive from Seymour and Edinburgh High Schools where he's taught for a couple years. And during the Southern Wells games, he drove that two hours for every basketball game, every event that Southern Wells was in to try to get to know the kids. So the Raiders are excited about that. Also, there's a new golf coach in town for Norwell, and it's Bruce Immel. And so um, Bruce is a great lover of the game of golf. He looks at it as a, a lifetime sport, and uh, he has the academy, and he is replacing Mike Niemeyer, who is stepping down. Uh, and Mike Niemeyer, Niemeyer, you know, replaced Jody Alt before that. So the great tradition of good golfers and good golf coaches. Also wanted to just mention that the Bluffton High School junior Alyssa Burchett and Norwell High School senior Brandon Nicholson have been chosen to receive the 2017-2018 Academic All-State Honorable Mention by the Indiana Basketball Coaches Association. So... A.J., you're a stickler for academics. There's one for you. That's great stuff. Yeah, those kids are so smart and so, so well-spoken. And um, hopefully next week our plan is to try to get all the golf coaches and the kids on the air here on the show Monday night. That's the plan as we have it right now. Been tough to get outside, as I know this morning it was snowing out there and then this afternoon. But I'm sure the, the local courses will be opening up in Wells County, as will they be in Blackford and Adams County as well. 
Now, so, AJ, before I let you go on with Steve, I just got a text from Phil Gagel, who's listening in L.A., and, and he's crying right now with the heartfelt praise for Joe Smeckens. Joe touched us all and had a, had a book, Window of Wells County, and again, Joe Smeckens, uh, hard to believe he's gone. Uh, how about if anyone else has a question for Steve or wants to make a comment and would like to text the show, how about giving him your number there, Mr. Beatty? Yes, if you have any coach or questions for Steve, it's uh, 260-820-0653. And, again, we're on the eve of the NCAA tournament, um, and Steve is of the greatest the Big Ten official um, and was chosen for all the Big Ten tournaments, and there's a reason for that. And we're going to ask Steve, what is the difference between how do they, when J.D. Collins looks at officials and when they, what makes you different? What makes the good officials different? What are they looking for? Well, that's a interesting question because I, I think every uh, supervisor of officials has maybe a different criteria uh, in their evaluation process for officials. But um, uh, I was fortunate to work for several guys that were the national coordinators and um, they have progressed to the point now where um, I'm really proud to say that we have a local, a local guy who is, um, a lot of you may not know, but is actually running the entire officiating program for the uh, entire country. And that's a Bluffton graduate? That is a Bluffton graduate, J.D. Collins. I believe he graduated in 1981, uh, lives in Hartford City, and uh, this is his second year as the NCAA Division I Men's National Coordinator of Officials. Um, all the supervisors in the country answer to him, the supervisors of officials for each of the conferences, answers to J.D., and J.D. has a staff of four veteran officials that are actually representatives of the four quadrants of the country. And those four officials, or those four ex-officials, um, they go around the, their their designated areas observing fish officials all season. And then they make recommendations to J.D., and they meet as a group to decide on the officials who are going to be selected for the NCAA tournament. Um, I'm not really sure how the process works with the play-in games and whether or not the, the, the officiating numbers have been expanded because of that. If, if they have, they wouldn't have been expanded by more than a few officials. But uh, in the NCAA tournament, uh, the predominance is that there are approximately 100 officials that are selected to work the tournament from the entire country. Now, will they work out of their area? Most generally, they will. There are eight tournament sites, and they will be normally they are sent. Um, they are sent to a, an independent site. There is, I don't know what the selection process is or the assigning pro, process is concerning that, but when they get to, when you're selected as one of the top 100 officials in the country, it pretty much qualifies you to work anywhere, anytime, because you're really like, I, I refer to the top gun. You're, you're the elite of the elite. And, um, the, the entire tournament is worked by those 100 officials. The, the, the Sweet 16 officials are pulled from that initial group of 100. The final four officials are pulled from that group of 100. So that, that 
group of officials, the 100 officials assigned to the NCAA tournament, are the only officials that will work that NCAA tournament all the way to the final game. Let me ask you a question. Uh, you did a lot of Big Ten games. You did a lot of Big Ten tournaments. How far did you go, or were you ever part of that group that made the final 16, the final eight, the final four? I never made it to the final four. I um, made it to the regional level, which was the Sweet 16, uh, four times, one time as an alternate and three times on the floor. And I worked a total of nine NCAA tournaments. So I was, um, it was always a very special time because uh, I was predominantly working those tournaments prior to the um, internet situation. And so the way we were informed that we had been selected for the tournament was a Federal Express van would pull up to our house and drop off a packet. And everybody packet. wanted to get the packet. Right. And we would just, um, we would just sit there with bated breath waiting to, and hoping and praying that somebody would knock on our door with a packet. And then um, right after the selection show on Sunday night, sometime between 6 o'clock p.m. and around midnight p.m., you would get a phone call from the tournament site director where you were going, and that's where you usually found that, – that was usually when you found out where you would be going and what your assignment was. And, of course, you always wanted to get the phone call. Uh, you wanted to be assigned to a glamorous city like San Diego in the middle of the, the winter right. or someplace nice in Florida or Dallas. Uh, and then the next most important – comment that was made was you wanted to be assigned to two games. Um, they have uh, 16 officials at each site, and they use every, every, all, all 16, excuse me, they have 12 officials at each site. Um, the four games are officiated by four sets of three officials, and then only seven officials stay for a second game. Um, there are two groups of three and then there is one guy that comes back as an alternate for the final two games. And then the following week at the Sweet 16, there are only 40 officials out of that pool of 100 that are selected, 36 of whom will work ball games on the floor, and everybody only works one game at the Sweet 16 level. You either work a semifinal game or you work the final game. And then there is one alternate official that actually sits for the whole weekend and sits all three ball games. And then when you go to the final four, there are only 10 officials that are selected. One alternate and two sets of three that work the semifinal national championship, and then the three officials that work the national championship. And it always is interesting, and I always thought about the fact that there's only one guy at the end of the year who is happy as a basketball official because that's the guy who is the referee and throws the ball up on the national championship game because he's the only guy that got to where he thought he deserved to be. <laughs> All the rest of us never made it to the finals. Never got quite never, that far. Never got to the end. And so, but, but it was a tremendous opportunity, just, and, and just to be involved in it was, was a lot of fun and a real challenge. And... Um, a lot of people will ask me what the most uh, significant moment was, and again, it, it involves my very dear friend J.D. Collins. Um, one year, 
out of and the pool of officials was only 96 at the time and one year uh, both JD and myself were selected to work the sweet 16 round uh, on the floor so at the sweet 16 round remember there are only 36 officials in the country that are working and that year two of them were from Bluffton Indiana and that we thought that was pretty unique and not sure that that has an opportunity to happen uh, very many times in officiating. A town that small with two officials out of that few. Uh, out of 36, there was two officials from Bluffton, Indiana. And from Bluffton High School. And you got to remember, half the town of Bluffton goes to Norwell. So, Question for you. Yes. When officiating went from two officials to three officials, at the time, I know it was beneficial to your career, but what did you think about officiating going from two guys officiating to three guys officiating. Was it a good thing or a bad thing? Well, it was, it, it was a good thing because the game and the players had gotten so much more talented and quicker. There were a lot more things going on. You know, we had to, It gave them an opportunity to expand the rules and expand the game, for example, putting in the three-point shot which would have been very difficult for two officials to, to adjudicate because of angles and being able to see the line and everything. And then they were, you know, they put the arc in underneath the basket. And the other thing is that the players, you, you now had, you know, when the, when the basketball began, a good-sized player was six foot, six one, six two. And so you put ten guys that are six one, six two on a basketball floor, there's a lot of room still on that floor. You put guys out there that are seven foot, seven foot two, six eleven, six ten, and weigh two hundred and forty pounds, and are fast. They take up a considerably more uh, amount of space than the than the old players did, and so you 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 and the game, the officiating game, is a game of angles and views and being able to see, and a lot of times with two officials, it just was impossible to see what was necessary to be seen to make the game adjudicated on a fair basis. So the, the, um, the involvement of the third official made a, a considerable difference because we went from two guys covering a half of a floor to three guys covering a half of a floor, which gave us almost one-third less room that we had to be responsible for. Now, with instant replay or the replay, is there an official that will do strictly nothing but replay sitting at the desk and when they've got a question about where the ball, who it went off of, or what the situation was, was it a flagrant foul or not? Do they have one guy now? Will they have extra officials that will do nothing but that? At the NCAA tournament, they have an alternate that sits at the bench for every game. In the uh, first round, the alternates are the referees of the other games. In other words, the alternate for game number one would probably be, for example, referee number for the game number three, and he would sit as an alternate. They do have a monitor in front of them, and they are kind of an official off the floor. Now, they can't call a foul, or they can't, they can't, you know, called double dribble or traveling or, but they, they inform the officials on the floor about administrative issues. Also, they have the monitor there so they can view the replays. They can call the officials over if they think that there is a, 
interpretation problem or something that needs to be addressed or adjudicated. Will they do something to, like, they see something on the, on the monitor that the official may not have seen? Will they overrule them? They wouldn't overrule them, but they would, they would, what we, the way we did that when we were the alternate was, if we had an issue that we needed to discuss or we needed to have the on-court officials come over, then we simply stood up. And that was the signal saying, hey, guys, you need to come over. I've got some information for you. Now, what the alternate official, the only situation he would probably be involved with concerning fouls would be if he viewed on a replay a flagrant foul or something that happened that was necessary for review to see if there was a higher degree of foul that ne- a foul that would needed to be assessed. But that's... That's something that can be done now without alternate officials because the officials have an expanded process where they can go to the monitor for just about anything to look at a replay. All right, we're going to come back and talk with Steve and Kevin and talk a little bit more about basketball, Southern Wells, and their effort to be a regional champion as they won their sectional a couple weeks ago. And we'll be back right after this two-minute timeout. Welcome back, everyone. Another one of our great sponsors here on the show is Velocity Motors. And every week we have a drive of the night. And tonight it's a 2011 Mazda 6. This was just traded in on Saturday. It's a local trade. It's black with 91,000 miles. This would make your teenager a great first car. And it's priced under $7,000. So stop in at Velocity Motors on the north side of town and talk with Steve Fiesel or his son Kramer. That's Velocity Motors. All right, getting back with Steve Skiles. Steve, you had an incident come up a few years ago where you got pretty sick. Can we talk a little bit about that? Go ahead. Oh, it was it was a situation that um, I had been diagnosed in 2008 with what was called Barrett's esophagus, and it was kind of a situation involving acid reflux. And um, I was supposed to come back for another checkup three years later, and three years later I wasn't having any symptoms and no problems, and everything was great and wonderful in the world, and I was refereeing about 65 ball games. So um, I didn't go and have my checkup, and the following year I had uh, knee surgery, and um, having uh, maxed out my deductibles on my insurance, I um, after the knee surgery I was trying to get back on the floor and officiate, and actually was told that I wouldn't be able to be assigned any games because they didn't like the way I ran for television. Didn't have anything to do with my officiating abilities. It was, I guess, my appearance or my running style. But anyway, I told my wife that since we had met our deductibles, we needed to have all of our tests updated. So I went in on December 22nd for an endoscopy and a colonoscopy. And on December 29th at 12.05 p.m. You remember this vividly? I remember. I can put my feet exactly in the place where I was standing when I got the phone call. Uh, The doctor called, and he said, Steve, I've been trying to get a hold of you for a few days. And he said, I left a message on your home phone. I said, well, Doc, I said, I really don't check that because nobody ever calls me there. My family was out of town, and... um, this was December 29th, uh, four days after Christmas, and I was home alone. 
And um, he said, well, we got the results from your endoscopy back, and they're not good. And my initial reaction was, wow, I guess maybe I'm, we're going to have to up the uh, Prilosec or some type of other medication. And he said, uh, no, it's a little more serious than that. You have cancer. And I will tell you, as uh, most other people who have ever heard those fateful words, that the world stopped right then because um, uh, approximately 35 years prior, my father had been diagnosed with esophageal cancer, and his was um, inoperable, and his life ended about four months after he was diagnosed. And so all of a sudden, uh, your life flashes in front of you, and I had a 13-year-old son and a beautiful wife, and I wondered if I was going to get to see him graduate from high school. And uh, so my reaction to the doctor was, well, did we catch this in time? And he said, I don't know. We'll have to do some testing, and you need to come in as soon as possible. So we did. And long story short, uh, I had a, an operation on February 6th to have my um, esophagus totally removed and the top third of my stomach resected. And um, I was very fortunate because it was uh, we caught it at an early stage one, and I didn't have to. There were enough uh, margins in the surgery that they felt I didn't need to have radiation or chemotherapy. And I am one of the absolutely luckiest guys in the world because um, my first question after I was told that I was okay and was going to be okay was, "Am I going to be able to officiate again?" <laughs> And so, uh, fortunately, I was, and I uh, have continued doing that. But um, uh, so, so when they have the coaches versus cancer and everything, and a lot of the fundraisers involving cancer and breast cancer for women, the hockey games I attend, they have uh, cancer events and so forth. So, having gone through that dreaded disease and been one of the very, very fortunate ones, I um, count my lucky days every day. Where are you coach or officiating at now? What level? Well, when I was told that they didn't like the way I ran for television. Well, you never were that fast. I, and I never was ever speedy just... or anything, but I thought I, I could get up and down the floor. But I still, I, and I was telling AJ and, and Kevin, there's a bit of ego that's involved with a, being a basketball official or really being any kind of an official because you're, you're really kind of beaten down every time you go on the athletic field. And so you have to have a pretty thick skin and you have to have a, a bit of a chip on your shoulder and a pretty good ego. And, and I will tell you that most officials, um, and I'm even, I'm even an example of that, it's very difficult for me to watch ball games right now because I think I still have court presence and I still think I have um, uh, the ability to work at a higher level. And so it's very frustrating to um, watch ball games and not be able to, to do the things that I did for a lot of years. So that being said, and believing that I still have court ability and, and the ability to, to referee a, a basketball game, I got my high school license renewed, and I am uh, currently uh, not doing full schedules, but I work about 12 or 13 small college games, um, games for like Defiance, and Manchester, Anderson College, and then I work uh, about 10 or 12 high school games. I'm usually, um, what, I, what I basically do is tell the assigners that I'm one of those guys that they can call at the last minute if they need a replacement. 
or they need somebody that uh, because a lot of the younger guys get called up to a a higher level game uh, at short notice because of injuries or weather or whatever and so I try and make myself available and I I still enjoy it very 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 much tell me a uh, guy that's working at the highest levels, he's doing. He's going to do the NCAA tournament. He's got the call. What kind of money do those guys make? Well, the guys that are working the the uh, actually, it's it's very similar to the high school situation. the The lowest pay of the year is actually in the, the tournament games in the NCAA tournament. Just like in at the high school level, the lowest games that the officials are paid at the high school level are the the, the state high school, finals, state finals, and the tournament. Um, a Division One official in one of the major conferences right now would be making somewhere between twenty five hundred and thirty five hundred dollars per game. Do they pay their own expenses? Or out of that, out of that amount of money, they're, they're, they pay their own expenses, and they are told and they are expected to be at the game site, however they want to get there. If they want to drive a million miles and drive cars to it, that's fine. If they want to fly. Uh, it used to be that the game there you would get a game fee, a travel fee, and a per diem, but a lot of the school, a lot of the assigners have just lumped it into one flat fee, and tell everybody to get there however they can. Another perk was you got two tickets. We always got two tickets for every ball game that we worked, and that, quite frankly, is one of the reasons that my good friend Kevin thinks I'm a good official because <laughs> I wasn't nearly as good as he thought I was, but he always was able to take advantage of some of those free tickets that I would get. At the Big Ten, my wife Sarah was a Pizza Hut waitress and knew Steve real well too, and, and uh, Steve would get us eight tickets. And when we were at the Big Ten tournament, we were sitting with the governor, and uh, we were right on floor level, and they were free. Because every, he knew all the other officials, and there were people from all over the country. They had two tickets, and who are they going to give them to? Correct. So he would talk to those officials, and I would pick up a packet at whatever hotel they were at, and I would have eight free tickets and uh, to the Big Ten tournament. And, uh, and he was a great ref in, regardless of that. Skiles, you better get back uh, up to the top level again because Beatty's been paying for his own tickets, and he hates that. You I know that. I understand. Yes, I do know that. <laughs> well, I know what you're talking about with uh, the IHSAA because they pay wrestling officials squat to do the state finals. And you can probably make more money doing a tournament mid, mid-year at a holiday tournament at Mishawaka than you'll make doing the IHSAA state it, final. It, it was kind of interesting because um, – I will tell you that most officials don't do this for the money. It was kind of humorous because um, one of the first years after I was not doing Division One again, um, I, I was had gotten back into doing some small college and high school. And the total compensation that I made for the ball games that I did the entire season, which was about eight small college games and ten high school games, the total compensation for those 18 games was less than what I used to make for one Division One game. So it's I always tell the I always tell the coaches because a lot of the coaches at the high school level now they they know they know my pedigree and and so they kind of give me a double look sometimes when I come out on the floor. And if they have any questions or they have any complaints, I usually one of my first lines to them is, Coach, do you realize tonight that you're getting a $3,000 officiating job for 75 bucks?" <laughs> <laughs> 
Does that quiet them down? Well, it usually brings a smile to their face, and that that's one of the things that's happened over the years of officiating is I do it now because I really enjoy it, and I enjoy having fun with the crowd and having fun with the players and the coaches. I try and, and break down some of those barriers between – fans and coaches that they think exist and and fans and players that exist have you ever had a problem getting out of an arena after a game never really had a problem getting out of an arena i've had some instances where i have had some very colorful words said to me when i'm walking to my car i did have in the early part of my career i was doing a, a small college game up at bethel college and i was working at the high school level as well as the college level and um, this gentleman came up to me at halftime, and he said, uh, are you Steve Skiles? And I said, yes, I am. He said, he said, do you remember a high school game about 10 years ago that you did? And, and I said, and he gave me the school's name, and I said, yeah, I remember that. And he said, well, my wife was the lady who got up out of the stands and punched you in the chest. <laughs> <laughs> and I remembered that because um, obviously it didn't happen very often, but this, uh, this one player had gone in. We had, we had bleachers underneath the baskets, and this one player had gone in for a drive, and he'd gotten fouled and ended up in the second row of the bleachers. And this lady, who I think was related to one of the players, stood up and punched me in the chest and said, you better get this game under control. And uh, unfortunately for her, that got reported to the IHSAA, and um, she, was, she was not allowed to come to basketball games for like three years. And the school was put on probation and had to write a documentation of how they were going to take care of the fans and any fan issues for every athletic event for a year. So they got real tough with him real they, fast. Yes, they do. Um, was this then, guy? Did this guy hold a grudge, or was no? He... It wasn't. In fact, and unfortunately, she had passed away. And and I said, he told me. He said, you know, she was so embarrassed with what happened, she never went to another basketball game. I said, that's unfortunate because I said, you know, she was just excited in the heat of the moment. But you know, regardless, you can't you can't attack an official for any reason. I believe even there's been. Some states now that have put in legislation to um, to severely penalize anybody that uh, that does anything physically to a to any type of a sporting official. Let me ask you about one of the officials that's been doing this for a very long time. He's been and he's in excellent shape. He's done a lot of Big Ten games, but here lately he seems to me like he's losing contact, not talking to the kids or the coaches, making decisions. I'm talking about Teddy Valentine. Do you have any opinion about that? Well, Teddy is a very good friend of mine, and I always tell people when people ask me about it, because, you know, his most famous incident obviously involves Indiana, and that was when he and Coach Knight had their, uh, had their face-off in the basketball game uh, down at Assembly Hall, and, and uh, I think Ted ejected Coach Knight, and then Coach Knight took that memorable walk right past him, and everybody was holding their breath to see if Coach Knight was going to bump him or take a swing or what was going to happen. And um, so, you know, going forward, Ted Ted actually, part of his situation was he was recruited into the Big Ten at a relatively young age and probably was not mentally prepared to address what he was going to have to address at that age. And so he kind of developed a bit of a, 
of a complex, a inferiority complex, um, because he kind of thought people were really against him when they when they really weren't, and it really wasn't his fault for that. But over the years, he has developed as I will tell you that that Ted Valentine is one of the best collegiate officials as far as being able to call the rules of the game and to call the game. He sometimes doesn't use the best judgment with some of the extracurriculars that go on. And I think he has I, I I think that he tends to learn his lessons as he goes. But it was always enjoyable to work a game with Ted because nobody ever knew you were on the floor when you worked with Ted. Everybody was watching it Ted. Was all, it, was all, it was all about Ted. And, you know, he kind of developed the moniker of TV Ted. And um, I always enjoy watching him. He's gone through some physical changes. You know, he used to carry a lot more weight than he does now. He's lost probably about 75 or 80 pounds. Um, the one thing that was highlighted this year was the situation involving the North Carolina player where he turned his back when right. the player addressed him. What's unfair about that situation is is it was basically taken out of context because you don't know what those two individuals had been involved with in previous games. Um, there's not supposed to necessarily be, a, necessarily be a history, but sometimes there are histories between players and officials and coaches and, and officials. Um, you, you can't always... Evaluate a situation based on just one incident because there may have been something in previous games where this player had been addressed by Ted and told not to do this or not to do that, and he continued to do that in pre in in follow up games. So to to basically judge Ted about what happened in one situation out of context. Really, never thought was too fair because, uh, in the end, th there are personalities involved in this game, and not everybody gets along. Steve, we're running out of time, and it's been great talking with you. But I've got a couple more questions I've got to ask. Uh, one is, you've had the opportunity to see the best basketball minds in the country run their programs, coach their kids. Who's the top three coaches you ever saw work games? I know one would be tough to say, but let's say top three to five. Well, um, you know, I, I think Coach Izzo at Michigan State, if you, if you look at him, a lot of schools talk about rebuilding. You know, they'll have two or three good seasons, and then they, quote, go into a rebuilding. Michigan State seems to always be at the top of the, at the, top of the heap all the time. So I always, I always thought that Coach Izzo was outstanding. I had a great personal relationship with a coach who – Unfortunately, we lost about a year, year and a half ago. And, and I've, I've shared this conversation with several people because there, there are relationships that coaches and officials develop. They're just, for some reason, a coach and an official will just get along well or they like each other or they really respect each other a little more than, than usual. And that one coach who, who we lost and was a very dear friend was Roly Massimino who a lot of you remember won a national championship with Villanova and then went on to coach the um, Cleveland State Vikings in the Horizon League. And um, I don't know why it was, but 
he and I just really liked each other as as friends, and um, it was always a pleasure doing his ball games. I knew that he was a connoisseur of good cigars, and of course, my my being in the tobacco business and having a background with that, I usually would stick a, a cigar or two in my pocket when I do ball games at at Cleveland State, and I'd always preface preface the uh, situation by telling Raleigh that I'd brought a couple cigars and if he was a good boy tonight that I'd, <laughs> you that might I'd get reward one. him but um, and then it, it would be tough to put uh, any other specific coach because the other thing is you know the 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 longevity of coaches just wasn't very there weren't a lot of coaches that hang, hung around for a long time um, you know, we would have a coach that we might have some success with, especially in the lower levels, in the uh, mid-majors like the Mid-American Conference and the um, the Horizon League. And when those coaches gained a, a degree of success, they usually moved on. So we would only see some of those coaches, you know, two or three years. And then we might see them ten years later working at a at a higher level division 1 conference because we may have gotten assigned to do a game for them or something. But question, who's going to win the NCAA championship this year? Who's your pick? Well, I you know, one of the things we have to do as officials is we have to sign a, a form saying that we will not gamble or we will not bet on any games or we will not. So in my 30 45 years of officiating altogether, I've never filled out a bracket. And I always tell people when they say who's going to win, I'm going to, I always say it's whoever's playing the best in the final game and whoever scores the most points. Well said, Steve. Well, hey, listen, thanks so much for being with us. It's been enjoyable, entertaining, and uh, we've learned a lot. And, uh, Kevin, thanks for getting a hold of Steve and getting him on the show tonight. You're welcome, AJ, and thanks, Steve, for coming. We're, I knew it would be a great show and very interesting, and I appreciate your presence here. All right, coming up on WZBD, we've got NCAA basketball. We've got the play-in games coming up the next couple of nights. We've got all the games. Every game, they're going to go from game to game. So if you're interested and you're not in front of a television or you're driving around someplace, turn on 92.7 FM, WZBD, and you're going to hear all the games in their entirety. And we're doing the championship games as well. So make sure you tune in. I'd like to thank the Pizza Hut for their great food and great service. And if you're looking to raise money for your organization or your group, call the Pizza Hut and uh, you can take care of it. What, Steve? Well, I was just saying, um, I one of the things that, that happens when you uh, reach my level of age and officiating experience is I certainly enjoy going around the communities in the area. If you ever need someone to address a service club, or to talk about uh, officiating to a group of young young players or young people, or um, just any anybody who'd like to talk basketball, I'm just a phone call away. And where can they reach you at? Uh, you can usually reach me at uh, the, our company, the Skiles Company. I think our phone number's in the book. All right, great. And, you know, we need good young officials, and that's a, a terrific idea. So once again, thanks to the Pizza Hut for providing us with the food and beverages tonight our studio engineer and chief musicologist, that's Steve Rouse, back at the studio. I'd like to thank Steve Skiles for being here, Kevin Beatty, as always, for doing such a great job, all of our sponsors, including New Holland Tri-County, and, of course, our listeners who think that high school 
sports is the way to go. And uh, keep listening. Tune in next Monday night. Hopefully we're going to have golfers for you. So for Kevin, thanks again. Thank you, AJ. And for Kevin Beatty, for Steve Skiles, I'm AJ Calver wishing everybody a great evening. We'll talk to you down the road. Good night, everybody.